Hello and welcome to the Qubit Guy podcast, brought to you by Classic, the quantum algorithm design company. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Doug Fink, publisher and managing editor of the Quantum Computing Report. Doug and I spoke about export licenses and regulations in quantum computing, avoiding the quantum hype, about the growing importance of business translators, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know how we did by emailing hello at classic.io. That's hello at classic.io. Hello, Doug, and thanks for joining me today. Hi, Yuval. Nice to meet with you. So who are you and what do you do? So I'm Doug Fink. I am the publisher and managing editor of the Quantum Computing Report. And that was actually the very first market analysis uh, website and organization devoted to quantum computer computing. We formed it in 2015. Um, you know, at that time, uh, quantum was sort of a, I would call a research backwater, but I got interested in it. I had spent uh, several decades in the classical computing industry, and uh, I wanted a break. I wanted to do something new. So I, I formed that, and uh, I guess my timing was pretty good because the quantum industry has certainly taken off over the past six years. And, you know, I've been around to report about it. You know, we have over 500 pages of a material on this website as well as thousands of subscribers and tens of thousands of page views. So it's uh, been quite popular that, you know, particularly if you're a venture investor in an early stage, there's always a high amount of risk. You know, venture capitalists will make investments, you know, with the assumption that, uh, you know, a large portion of them, them will fail. Uh, you know, sometimes I hear stories, though, that investors maybe forget about quantum. It, it, it's so magic that, you know, I, I've, I've heard stories where an investor have a meeting with uh, a prospective company, a prospective quantum company, had an hour's meeting and said, we want to invest $50 million. And, and the guy couldn't believe it. He says, well, you're not an investor. You're a gambler. <laughs> so you, you, just people need to be careful because um, I do believe that there's going to be a lot of failures in the industry, you know, we we track over 225 private and startup companies on the quantum computing report right now. And and my prediction, I'll go out on a limb, my prediction is that 10 years from now, the majority of those companies will not be around in the same form they are today. Now, now uh, they won't all go bankrupt. Some will be bought out. Uh, some will merge, uh, you know, some reconfigured, but some of them indeed will go bankrupt. So, you know, and investors just need to be careful. They need to think about where a company will add value, how they'll fit into the ecosystem, which is a, actually getting to be quite large. And, and they just need to be careful like they do with all their, their other investments. So there are many companies that do hardware, and, and I, I share your view. There is probably not going to be a place for so many companies that do at least superficially the same thing. Uh, in the market, so some will fail and some will merge and some will wildly succeed, so so we hope. Um, but actually, let's talk about the bigger companies. When you look at uh, Amazon or Google or Microsoft that all have uh, significant bets in quantum, that are hiring a lot of people, that are building quantum computers and so on, which large company are you surprised that it is not in quantum right now, at least not publicly? Well, you, you want to look at the large classical companies. Um, you know, I, I would point out um, one company that 
so I'm a little bit surprised they haven't had an effort is uh, HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. You know, they do a lot of work in, in enterprise computing. Um, another on the cloud side is Oracle. You know, they're quite big in cloud computing um, and, and they haven't jumped in yet. Uh, Dell has just started, you know, it was very, very interesting. Uh, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would say that Dell would also be on the list. But they just, just did announce, you know, they're starting to work a little bit with IBM. And I listened to one of their webinars uh, maybe a week or two ago, and they said that they've been looking at this market for a couple of weeks. But, you know, certainly any large company that has large expose, exposure to the classical industry, you know, really should be looking at this. I mean, I won't say that quantum computer will completely take over uh, classical computing, but I definitely feel that it will certainly take a chunk. And companies really, uh, if you want to be involved in high-performance computing, you really need to have a strategy for quantum. When you look at the, on the customer side, on the large companies that are experimenting with quantum that are either quantum curious or setting up proof of concepts and so on, how much are they worried about IP in, in the sense of, how much do they want to do their work internally versus outsource, bring consultants, bring someone that says, oh, I'll just write the code for you and I'll give you it. I'll give you a license to use it. Do you do you sense that that's an issue with the end customers? I, I think it probably varies with a specific customer. Um, I, I would say, though, at, an, at this stage, many of the enterprises, uh, they realize that there's really in a learning and a training mode. So, you know, they may be just being trying to learn how to program these things. Um, so I, I don't think they're quite as protective around IP as they might be for a more mature technology. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really uh, doing maybe a few proof of concepts. As the industry matures, I think they'll be more sensitive about that. Today, the largest quantum computer has about... 50 qubits or in that vicinity. And I know qubit is obviously not the only measure of the uh, capabilities of the quantum computer, but it's it's a good first approximation, I think. Um, some companies say, well, 50 qubits is sort of the maximum that you can simulate on a classical computer. And therefore, next year, when we have 100 qubit machines, we'll, we'll be at that inflection point. We'll be at that point where a chasm starts to open between classical capabilities and quantum capabilities. And others might say, no, this is just hype. The industry is overhyped. Uh, it's going to take longer to develop. And right now, be careful not to set your expectations too high. Where are you on that spectrum? Well, you know, I, I do definitely see the roadmaps where people are talking about 100 qubits or more in the next few months and hundreds of qubits in, in 2023 and then maybe a thousand qubits or so, uh, uh, you, you know, in a couple of years. So, um, I would point out, though, that if you could simulate 50 qubits on a classical computer, those are perfect qubits, you know, 100% fidelity versus these quantum computers that may hit 100 or 200 in the next few months. They will, you know, won't have perfect fidelity. They'll they'll have uh, fidelities, you know, maybe ninety nine percent or ninety nine point five. It depends on on the particular vendor. So, uh, I do think, you know, we're 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 certainly entering the area of the people call NISC, 
uh, where the, there are not enough qubits to do full error correction. You know, you're going to have to live with errors in the computers. Um, but people develop algorithms that can help work around that. Things like the um, um, QAOA and, and, and VQE. Uh, my personal opinion is I do believe there'll be a, a few applications. We'll start seeing a, trip, a trickle of applications that do uh, quantum advantage or, or what I would call using quantum in a production mode for real world problem uh, within the next year or two. But it won't be, you know, just a, a huge amount. Um, you know, there are many, many problems that will require thousands or even tens of thousands or, or hundreds of thousands of qubits. And, and some of them will actually require error-corrected qubits. And, and when you're talking error-corrected qubits, you really need machines that are in the hundreds of thousands or millions of physical qubits. But I do believe that you'll start seeing, uh, you know, some production level type of applications within the next year or two. And it'll give certain, certainly people um, some hope, you know, that things are, are going to move on. Um, but it, it just won't be a wave immediately. It's, it's going to be uh, what I would call a trickle. But gradually, year after year, um, as the machines get more capable, more and more users will do that. And, you know, it definitely will be you know, what you might call a... Uh, a mainstream or significant technology by the end of the decade. And what's your guess on the applications? What would be those trickling applications that could deliver some value in a year or two? Well, I, I, I th certainly think that optimization is an area that has uh, a lot of possibilities. Um, you know, certainly D-Wave has been talking about uh, doing optimizations on their quantum annealer. You know, I know that's a different form of quantum computer than most others, but you know they they've been working on that for a long time. They have uh, users who've been do, putting together proof of concepts. Uh, they have users who are actually in uh, what they call pilot production. So um, optimization, I in some respects, I think might be easier for people to conceptualize because if you're a data analyst at a company. Um, I think it's easier for you to think about your specific problem. You know, let's say you're trying to optimize deliveries for a grocery chain or, or, or something like that. It's relatively easy for you to identify what the constraints are, to identify what you op want to optimize, and, and to put that into some type of, um, you know, equation that you want to find you know, and you want to minimize. So I... I, I think optimization may be one of the, the first areas. Things like uh, quantum chemistry probably, I think, will be next. Um, you know, that requires a little bit more thinking about how you want to structure the problem and how you want to convert the problem for, from what I would call the problem statement to the Hadamard gates and the CNOT gates and stuff like that. Um, quantum uh, machine learning or quantum AI, I think, is going to take a little bit longer. Um, just because, quite frankly, I don't know. I don't think the theorists really understand how classical AI works. <laughs> a lot of it's been done in, empirically. Uh, they don't have the you know the nifty th theorems on that. So uh, I think moving that to quantum is just going to take a little bit longer. So th those that would in general that would be sort of the sequence I see. Going back to the slide you presented in Chicago, let's talk a little bit about governments and about. 
uh, cloud versus uh, on-premise computers. Uh, most cloud computing today is on the cloud. That's probably a good idea. It's easy to experiment. You don't have to spend a lot of money uh, buying one. But uh, there's some thought that uh, some countries may absolutely want to have quantum computers there because they worry about export restrictions. They worry that at some point this becomes so strategic that some of the quantum superpowers may say, you just can't use my computers anymore, or you cannot use them now, and, and so on and so on. How, how much are you hearing about this? Yes, I, I am hearing that um, you know, relatively frequently, um, although I would not phrase it as a cloud versus on-premise. I, I would say that what countries are worried about is their data crossing the border, but they would be comfortable with quantum machines that are sitting inside their, their countries. You know, and I would point out, for example, a relatively recent move by IBM. You know, they've placed uh, or are placing a quantum computer in Germany. Actually, they have already. And they have another one in Japan. So, you know, if you're a German user of the IBM system, you don't have to send your data to New York anymore. You could send your data to the, the IBM quantum computer that's sitting in Germany. I, I think you're going to see more and more of that. Um, you know, on-premise on is going to be a little bit tricky in the near term, just because these machines are so finicky. You know, you have things like, how do you calibrate it? How do you have spare parts? You know, a lot of, you know, logistical details that are that are not trivial. It's not not like walking into your nearest uh, Best Buy and picking up a quantum computer and taking it home in your, in your car. Uh, you know, th these require, you know, pretty much on-site maintenance. And, and that's why, you know, all the current providers really want to have the machines in their own facilities. You know, IBM is lucky. They, they have facilities around the world. But in places where they can, you know, have an engineer, so if something goes wrong, they can, you know, tend to it very, very quickly. Um, so on-premise is going to take a while um, because the machines will need to get smaller. They'll need to get more reliable and require less maintenance. But, but you'll want, but governments will want them in-country. Yeah, in country, I think definitely. I think in country will will become important over the next few years. Today, there seems to be a almost like a language barrier, not so much you know English versus uh, French, but a language barrier between the chemists and the supply chain experts and so on, and then the quantum engineers. Uh, some companies talk about the need for a business translator that can hear the problem and then talk to the scientists and so on. Do you see that role continuing into the future or do you see the chemist and logistics guys getting a lot of quantum education or do you see the software tools providing abstraction layers that allows a chemist just to write a program just like they write one in, in MATLAB today? Yeah, I, well, I think all of the above will happen. I, I would point out, I would agree though that if there's one thing that's going to limit the growth of the quantum industry, it is that problem. How do you translate a problem statement into a program that can run on a quantum computer? You know, as, as uh, someone once said, let's say you're, um, you know, let's say you're an aerospace engineer and you're expert in computational fluid dynamics. How are you going to translate to, to quantum? And I don't think there's anyone in the world who would be an expert in both computational fluid dynamics and quantum computing at the same time. So, you know, in, in order to solve that, you know, be a number of approaches. Um, the first is indeed software. Um, 
you know, the software needs to be able to abstract, you know, some of the detail. I know Classic is doing a lot on that. Some is with, with consultants. You know, there's a fairly significant consulting um, group, you know, a lot of consulting companies that will do that type of work. You know, a lot of software companies do that work, as well as I would say the classical business consulting firms firms will do that. Um and, you know, there are other companies that are, are uh, continuing to develop software. Um, I would call application-specific quantum software, uh, you know, I'll give an example like, like Multiverse, where you can take a financial problem and you can put your problem statement in a spreadsheet, and then they'll take a, a spreadsheet and, and convert that to a quantum program. And there's even other companies that will, will like uh, Horizon, that will take a program that's written a language like C and and convert that to a quantum program. So in both those two latter cases, uh, someone wouldn't even need to know quantum at all. And the, the only issue is there's still very, very early. Um, you know, the number of different use cases where you can do that is still, you know, only a handful. But that's going to be critical to develop more of that type of software that helps make it easier for people to uh, make use of a quantum computer, that's going to be critical for the growth of the industry. As we get close to the end of our conversation, I wanted to ask you about governments again. Uh, let's say you were advising the U.S. government. Maybe you are. I, I don't know. Uh, what would you advise the U.S. government to do to make sure that the U.S. remains uh, super competitive or leading the quantum revolution? Well, well, first, I you know want to say that they've done a lot, and you know they've done some very, very good things. You know they were the early supporters of some of the research, you know, five, ten years ago. Um, but you know, more recently, uh, they're doing a lot with regard to uh, developing the quantum workforce. There's multiple programs, internships, uh, those types of things. Just to you know, if you read through. Uh, the Quantum Act, you know, the $1.3 billion that was passed a couple of years ago, uh, workforce development was, was a key factor. So at least in the U.S., they're doing a lot, you know, and I know the, you know, governments in, in many of the other countries are doing a lot, too, in terms of workforce development and, and encouraging the, the industry. Um, but I, I will, you know, make a what I call an off-the-wall suggestion, <laughs> you know, if they're listening, and that is, you know, when I looked at how the semiconductor industry really took off, you know, 60 years ago, the reason it took off was because of the Apollo space program where they wanted to put a man on the moon and they needed to take a computer, which is basically the size of a conference room and shrink it down to like a 70 pound box that could go in the lunar module. So they, funded the development of integrated circuits and they bought you know millions and millions of dollars worth of integrated circuits from you know companies like Fairchild Semiconductor and Texas Instruments. So you know I, I tell people that nothing motivates a company like getting a purchase order. And you know so, so one you know again it's an off the wall suggestion but one thing uh, that I certainly would help is to buy lots and lots of uh, quantum technology of, of various types. You know, a lot of it is computer time, uh, as well as you know, quantum sensors, even quantum communication. Those those types of things, 
And um, that, I think, could be a good supplement to what they're already doing. Related to that, I, I was at the uh, University of Maryland Quantum Investment Summit a few weeks ago, and a lot of speakers were worried about regulation, that all of a sudden the Senate's going to come in and, and regulate quantum or, or the sales, and, and that will cause big problems. How, how much are you worried about that? Um, well, you know, I, I'm actually more worried about any restrictions with regard to immigration. Now, I just said a second ago, I think the workforce development is one of the key key factors there. And, and again, if, if you look towards history, one of the things that really helped the, the semiconductor, even the computer industry, is that we had a pretty open immigration system. So uh, students from foreign countries could come here. You know, they could study and, you know, get their graduate degrees or, or even undergraduate degrees. And then they decide to stay here. They like the U.S. so much they could uh, find find a company. And, you know, one, one story I would say is um, uh, I worked many years ago. I worked for Intel and my first day at Intel, my boss took me around to meet people, you know, like like they typically do. And he he made a comment, you know, working at Intel is like working at the United Nations. So uh, I, I do believe that being able to attract people from other countries uh, you know, with more opportunities, of course, uh, if you're interested in quantum, is uh, would be very, very helpful for the development. You know, w- with regards to sales, um, uh, you know, the I think the U.S. just needs needs to be a an exporting company or an exporting country. Uh, you know, we import a lot of materials, but you know, we, we need to have a good balance of payments, and we do that by um, exporting services and, and, and those types of things. So, uh, you know, we certainly want to have a balance between national security type of things, but you know, the U.S. still has a lot of friends around the world and uh, we need to be open with them and try to work with them as much as we can on quantum technology. That's excellent. So, Doug, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about your work? Okay. Well, we, we have a website. Uh, the website is Quantum Computing Report. Dot com, and that quantum computing report is all one word, and uh, you you can read you know many of our pages. As I said, we have hundreds of pages of, of, of material there. You can you can learn about us. Uh, we also publish uh, a newsletter once a week. It comes out on Sundays, and basically what it does is it summarizes all the new items that we've added to the website over the past week. So. You know, I, I did that because I realized that people in the industry are very, very busy and, uh, you know, they can't take the time to try to go through all the various feeds to find out all the new announcements. So uh, I make it simple for them. They can just uh, get the newsletter on Sunday. And then when they have a few minutes of spare time, you're not in daily meetings, they can look at it and they can just click on the items that they're interested in. So, you know, those are the ways and, you know, you certainly can get in touch with me. Um, you know, my email is dfink, D-F-I-N-K-E, at quantumcomputingreport.com. And, and I'm always willing to work with people. And, uh, you know, part of our mission is to help people uh, accelerate the quantum industry. And hopefully we've done some of that and can want to do more. I think your newsletter is very helpful to me personally, and I think you're doing a great service for the industry as well. So thank you so much for that, and thank you for joining me today. Okay. Thanks, Yuval. It was nice talking with you.